Lord, this plaintive song has reminded us of a wonderful truth that when you look at us, you don't see our sin and rebellion, the degradation that has so mucked up our lives. But because of Jesus, you see the whiteness of his glory. You see the righteousness of Christ. And we are covered by his grace today. I pray, Lord, that if there be one in this room today that has not experienced the matchless and wonderful grace of Jesus that we sang about earlier today, that today, Lord, you would split a ravine in that soul and that you would allow your spirit to enter in and convict of sin and woo and draw them to the Savior today. We cannot save anyone, but we're so glad to know that your Son, Jesus, came to seek and save those who were lost. And that we stand here today, not because of our own goodness, nor because of our merit, but we stand here today because of the grace of God in Christ. And we magnify your precious name. Now, Lord, as we approach your word this morning and we think about sharing this good news, I just pray that that you will cause me to be hidden so that Christ would only be seen, that your spirit would be our teacher, your word would be our rule, and that we would have this morning a glimpse of your glory. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing in a series of messages that I started a couple of weeks ago, taking a closer look at the church and what it is that the Lord is calling us as his people uh, to be, how we are to live, how we are to interact with one another, how our ministry is to be organized. And I've called this series of messages, The Church 360 Degrees. Uh, the purpose of that is to give us that large aerial view to be able to, to hone in on the foundational aspects of our life together. And already we've seen that as a church, as the people of God, we are to be committed to uh, spiritual growth and uh, be following hard after the Lord, seeking uh, biblical truth in our life and to align our lives under the Word of God. And then uh, last week we looked at the importance of sharing this journey together with other uh, Christian adventurers, of coming together in community to uh, rejoice together, to, to weep together, to, to pursue God together, and to spur one another on in uh, holy living. And today, we're going to look at a third aspect of what it means to be the church and talk about the commitment, or at least the commission, and the invitation that Christ extends to us as his followers to share the good news of the gospel. Now, the first week, our, our, our watchword was the word grow. Last week, our word was connect, and this week, our word is to share, to share the good news of the gospel to lost people. And we do that because lost people matter to God. They matter to God in that so much so that he sent his only son, Jesus, uh, this divine love gift, which we celebrate at Christmas, the word becoming flesh and dwelling in our midst. And the Lord Jesus came because lost people matter to God. 
And because they matter to God, they should therefore matter to us as well. We cannot afford to take a ho-hum or apathetic attitude toward people who are still lost in sin, who are out there in that, as we read in the psalm this morning, in that slimy pit stuck in mud and mire. But we have a commission. The Lord Himself invites us into this great partnership, as Paul spoke to the Corinthians, to be ambassadors for God in this ministry of reconciliation. So Jesus, as it were, is inviting you and me as a follower of His while we are growing in the Lord and while we are enjoying the aspects of community together, Jesus invites us into this mission so that we become a people of mission who are sharing the passionate pursuit that God has to restore lost people to Himself, to reconcile people who are wandering and rebelling against God, to reconcile those people to the Savior so that they can enjoy the peace of God and enjoy peace with God. And that ministry has been given to us to restore those who are around us in our neighborhood, to take this message of the gospel to the nations. That's why we as a denomination in the Christian Missionary Alliance are so firmly committed and passionate about taking the gospel of Jesus to the uttermost parts of the earth. Because we are saying yes to God. Yes, we will accept your invitation, Christ, to join together in partnership with you to go out there to take the good news of the gospel and share it, our word for today, to share that good news so that people might come to enjoy the abundant life of Christ. That's what we are called to do. And I'll tell you one thing that I'm absolutely convinced of, that in spite of all the craziness in the world today, and it is a crazy world in which we live, that I believe with all of my heart that this is one of the most exciting times in which to be alive. It's a great time to be alive, a great time in human history to be called by God to be His church. I have this I guess it's a fantasy, as it were, that someday when we all get to heaven and we're around the throne of God, that there will be some of the saints that will say to us, oh, you lived in the 21st century in human history, did you not? And we will say yes. And they said, oh, if we only, Moses or Peter, oh, if we only had been alive during that time in human history. Because I believe that the opportunity that you and I have been given, the extended invitation to us today, is one of the most exciting opportunities. It is better to be alive today than in any other time because there's unprecedented opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that with all of your heart? I do, in spite of all this craziness. I look at Habakkuk and the word of God that came to uh, Habakkuk in uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. And God says to this prophet, he says, Look, see, I'm going to do things in your day which you wouldn't believe even if I told you. And I believe that word that came to Habakkuk is also a word that comes to us today of these unprecedented opportunities. And I believe that that's what the Lord is doing in our world today. Just in case you've forgotten, let me just share with you a few statistics that remind us of the exciting things that God is doing around our world. Did you know that at the International Conference on World Evangelization that took place in 1910, in the last century, Latin America was considered to be the greatest challenge facing the church with under a few hundred thousand believers in 1910. 
Today, in Latin America, there are over 60 million evangelical believers in Latin America. That the church has grown in such an unprecedented way that now Latin American countries are sending out missionaries of their own. No longer do they depend upon American missionaries or European missionaries to come and share the gospel of Jesus. But now these People who've been won to Christ during this last century are now sending out missionaries of their own to places like England and France and Germany and to the United States. They are now missionizing these places that had been uh, certainly Christian countries. 60 million evangelical believers in Latin America today. And about 20 million of them came to Christ in just the last Ten years. There is a shift going on in global Christianity today. Whereas Western Christianity at one time was the seat of power, as it were, of Christianity, no longer. The, the concentration of Christians is now changing from the northern and western hemispheres to the southern hemisphere, and where the church is gra- growing the most rapidly is in South America and in Africa and in the Asian islands. It is absolutely amazing what is, God is doing. There are countries such as Indonesia that could only boast a few thousand believers about 40 years ago. Today, there are millions of believers in Indonesia. In just one generation, from a few thousand to millions of believers in one Generation. Forty years ago in Nepal, there were absolutely no believers at all. Today, there are several hundred thousand worshiping God on the rooftop of the world. And 80% of those in Nepal came to Christ in the last ten years. It is amazing. Amazing time in human history. And what a privilege it is to be alive and to be a part of the amazing things that God is doing around our globe. But let us never forget that God is the hero of this story. We don't bring our brilliant missionary efforts to be applauded. It's not people, it's not churches, it's not missionaries, it's not parachurch organizations, it's not mission agencies. The hero of this story is God. Because from the very beginning of time, God has been passionately pursuing people like you and me who once were lost but now am found because of the grace of Jesus Christ. But the wonderful thing is, is that because He has invited you and me into this work, this partnership with Him, there are still harvest fields that are ripe unto harvest. And as Jesus said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest to send workers into this harvest field. Don't give up. Don't snooze. Don't get apathetic. But instead, be on the alert. Keep your hand to the wheel because I have a work for you to do. And God is capturing hearts back to Himself. And as we discover this passion to live for Him and to grow in Christ, and we discover uh, the, the joy of living in community, as we get aligned with God, we begin to discover this unusual invitation and His heart for lost people. And we begin to reach out, out of our communities with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we understand better what it means to be the people 
of God. And suddenly our identity, who we are in Christ, and our mission, what we are to do through Christ's power, become intricately linked together. And we say yes to Christ's invitation to go to the uttermost parts of the earth with the good news of the gospel. So as I share with you this morning about the necessity of sharing this good news, my heart is, and what I've been praying is, that in a more profound way than we've ever understood it before, that we, you and I, would be captured by the heart of God for lost people, for the world around us. And so this morning I want us to look at that section that Ben read out of Scripture where the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian Christians and telling them that there are three things, three things that you get when you become a Christian, when you come to faith in Christ. I want you to understand that Paul writing here in the second epistle to the Corinthian Christians is not writing to unbelievers, not writing to people who have yet to accept Christ by faith. He is instead writing to Christians, to those who already are in the faith. And he says, Paul, If you're a Christian, you get three things. One, you get a new life. Two, you get a new job. Three, you get a new focus. A new life, a new job, a new focus. When you come to faith in Christ, you get three things. New life, new job, new focus. Say it with me. New life, new job, new focus. Now, if you should happen to fall asleep in the next 20 minutes, you will get the skeleton of what I'm saying, and you can pick up the flesh in the CD or on the web. But those are the three main points. New life, new job, new focus. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, therefore, I love this verse. Therefore, as a result of everything I've said, therefore, I tell you, that if anyone is in Christ, read it with me, he is a new creation The old has gone and the new has come. Can you get excited about that? I think that's good news. That if you are in Christ, if you've humbled yourself before God, and you've opened your heart and life to the gracious working of the Spirit, that the old is gone and the new has come, you are a brand new creation In Jesus. The Bible says that we are no longer the same when we come to faith in Christ. We are a new creation. We get a new life if we choose to follow Christ. And all that old stuff that has been dragging with us, those old issues that have created guilt and shame, those things that we were convinced that we could never be forgiven for, those old choices, those old decisions that we made in in that past of ours, God says when you accept Christ, when you are in Him, those things are done away with. They are wiped out. You are a new creation because the old is gone and the new has come. I say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now you're given a new life and God's grace is fixing the holes that were in our souls prior to coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. He's fixing those holes. One of my favorite things growing up in my neighborhood on Sunset Ridge in Portville, New York, in the southern tier, was playing games on the vacant corner lot. 
in our neighborhood. You don't see too many vacant lots anymore like you did when I was a boy, but we had one in our neighborhood, and it was the gathering spot for all of us kids to play. And we used that, I don't even know who owned it, but we used it all the time, and our parents would have to call us in the summertime. Late at night on those long evenings, they'd call us when the sun had set to come home, and we'd just, oh, ten more minutes, oh, thirty more minutes, so that we don't have to come in. And we used to play kickball and softball and capture the flag and king of the mountain and all sorts of games on that vacant lot. And one of the rules that we had in our neighborhood on Sunset Ridge was this, that if you decided to call do over, you got it. No questions asked. You could strike out in the softball game and all you had to do was yell do over. And you get a whole new set of pitches. Now, the, the rule was you could only do it once. Just once. But if you, if you yelled do-over, you got a do-over and none of the other boys would question you for it. it. It was common, accepted practice. Wouldn't you love to have a do-over? To be able to go back and do some things over. Be able to go back and undo some choices that you made in the past. Well, we all know that the, the real life, you, you don't get a chance for a do-over. What was said was said. What was done was done. What was chosen was chosen. What we did, we did. And more than likely, some of us are, are still living with some of the consequences of the choices and the things that we said, and, and may continue to live on with some of the consequences. There, some of those things cannot be fixed. But here's what God in Christ says to us. You don't have to live with that past anymore. What was done was done, and I'm forgiving you for it. And I want you to experience my forgiveness. And I want you to live not with, with that guilt and shame that you've been dragging around, but instead I want you to live under my grace. And I want you to recognize that you don't have to drag that stuff with you throughout life. Tomorrow can be a new day. And you can have a new life. You may still have to deal with some of the consequences of the choices that you've made, the old issues. But you don't, Jesus says, you don't have to deal with the guilt and shame of those things any longer. Why? Because the old has gone. And the new has come, and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And it's as if God through Christ has given us an opportunity for a do-over. You get a new life, a new chance. The second thing Paul says is not only do we have a new life, but we get a new job. Now listen to what he says to the Corinthians in verse 18. He said, all this. This new life that you have is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. There's the good news. And then he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that if you're a Christian, God has given you a new job, a new calling. Do you know what that new job is? You're a minister. You say, oh, no. My worst fears are realized. I'm a minister. I never wanted to be a minister. Never, never, never. 
Rick, it's great for you and Ben and Greg and Keith and others, but not me. I'll stick to my engineering. I'll, I'll stick to my teaching. I'll, I'll stick to my plumbing. I'll, I'll stick to my road work. I don't want to be a minister. Sorry. Because if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, you not only have a new life, but you have a new job. You've now been called into the ministry. You're a minister. The Bible says that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of God, then you're a minister. And what you do, you do on Christ's behalf. What you say, you say on Christ's behalf. I take this so very seriously. I want you to know how seriously I take this. That every time I pray a prayer, anytime I bless a couple who is coming together in marriage, anytime I approach a counseling appointment and try to share some of the wisdom from God's counsel in His Holy Word, I recognize that what I speak and what I say, I'm doing on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder how much of our speech or our thought life or our actions would change if we would just get an orientation that when I say this, I'm doing it on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's exactly what's happening. And he's given to us an assignment. What is this ministry that he says we get? He says it's a ministry of reconciliation. Helping to reconcile the creation to the Creator. Helping to bring along this peace that God is passionately pursuing with humankind. It's what God desires the most. And He's inviting His followers, people like you and me, to be a part of it. And we don't have to be a minister. Hallelujah, we get to. We have the opportunity to be a minister. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 28 and 19, it's what we call the Great Commission, if you're a good alliance folk, you ought to have 18 through 20 memorized. But verse 19 says, Go into all the world, he says to his followers, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's a job that's not just meant for Steve and Christy Volstead or Tom and Tina Freilich in, in Uruguay. It's not just for those who go on a short-term mission trip to Poland or the Dominican Republic or somewhere else in the world. Every one of you who are sitting in this pew, if you're a follower of God, you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is your job. You've been given it, whether you do it vocationally or you do it avocationally, whether you do it as a career or you do it as a calling. Somebody has said that career is what you're paid for, calling is what you're made for. And each of us were made for this. You have a job that puts food on the table and a roof over your head. But friends, that's not your calling. That may be your job, but it's not your calling. God says that if you're a Christian, your calling is to help other people, other lost sheep who are out there in the world who matter to God. Your calling is to help discover, have people help discover His grace and to reconcile the creation to the Creator. So some of us are ministers. None of us have any more authority than the other. It is a royal priesthood. It's a priesthood of believers. And I may get a paycheck because I've devoted full time to this for the ministry that I do. But I want to tell you that if you're faithful to this calling of God, that there is a, a great paycheck coming for you on the other side. And 
payday is not always Friday. For some of you, payday is coming. And the Lord has been keeping account of every act and every word, every time you've shared the good news of the gospel. And someday when we're in glory on the other side, we're going to look around and there will be some people. First of all, there will be some people that we're surprised are there. Secondly, there will be some people there that we're surprised are not there. But the third surprising thing will be some of the people that we didn't know on this side of glory that we influence for Christ, who are populating heaven because of a word that we spoke or a message that we shared. Won't it be a glorious day? Every tear shall be wiped away, no more sin, no more death, no more dying. And we will be with the Lord forever. Paul says, when you come to follow Christ, you have a new life. You have a new job. The third thing he tells us is that we get a new focus. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, he says. As though God were making his appeal through us. I don't know about you, but I find that mind-blowing. That as we are ambassadors for God in this new job that we have, empowered by the Spirit, that God is making His appeal to other people to come into the fold. He's making His appeal through us. We are the conduit. We are, we are the pipeline. And Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Make peace with God. So not only do you have a new life with a new job, but you have a new focus, which means a new commitment. Because as an ambassador of God, one who stands in the place of, that's what I was saying earlier, that as a follower of God, as his ambassador, we are standing, we are his, somebody said, we are his hands, we are his feet, we are his, his spokesperson. If you're a Christ, Christian, you are speaking on behalf of, yours is a life of influence and impact. We are called ambassadors for God to a ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> Did you know one of my distant relatives is an ambassador to Iraq? I don't think so, but his name is Crocker. Ambassador Crocker is the, uh, the ambassador to the country of Iraq. And every time with the Iraq being so much on the news, I, I hear it on the news report or read it in the paper. I'm kind of shocked and I want to do a little genealogy to see if I'm tied to greatness. Probably not. But anyway, we have a better ambassadorship than Iraq or France or England. Our ambassadorship is for the king of heaven. You and I have been called to be ambassadors for Jesus. If you're a believer this morning, you need to thank God that He is inviting people like you and me into this important job. We should not be pushing it away. We should not ho-hum it. But instead, we understand that through the power of the Spirit, we are called as ambassadors by God into this ministry of reconciliation. And you and I should be thankful that as believers, we should be thankful because somebody somewhere was bold enough to step up to the plate and to take the risk of fulfilling the Great Commission and share the gospel with you and me. And because they did, we are where we are today. And I would ask you, who was that person that shared the gospel with you? And what if they hadn't? 
What if they had said no to the leading of the Spirit? Where would you be this morning? What if they hadn't? Where would you be for eternity? I am personally thankful for a man I did not know, Edward Kimball. It's not a household name. Just a run-of-the-mill, ordinary Sunday school teacher who one day felt led of God to go into a shoe store where he would share the gospel with one of his Sunday school students, a young man named Dwight, who worked as a clerk in that shoe store. He was led of God to go in that shoe store and share with Dwight the good news of Jesus Christ. And he led him to Christ in that shoe store. Well, that young man, Dwight L. Moody, righteously rocked the world with his ministry. And under his preaching, a man named F.B. Meyer came to Christ. And F.B. Meyer led a guy named J. Wilbur Chapman to the Lord. And under Chapman's preaching, a flamboyant baseball player for the Chicago White Sox came to know the Lord. His name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday launched a ministry. And one night in one of the services in which Billy Sunday was preaching, a man named Mordecai Ham came to know Christ. And God called Mordecai Ham into the ministry to be an evangelist. And in one of his services, a young man named William gave his life to the Lord. And Billy Graham would go on to bring countless millions of people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the people who came to faith in Christ under the ministry of Billy Graham was a man named Elton Howard, who was the man who pastored my home church when I was a little boy. And one day, at the close of his sermon, Elton Howard, empowered by the Holy Spirit, made an invitation to people to come to faith in Christ. And there was an eight-year-old boy in that little country church upon whom the convicting work of the Spirit of God fell. And that little boy's name was Ricky Joe Crocker. And he stepped out of his pew, and he went to the mourner's bench, and he prayed faith to receive Jesus Christ. And so today I stand here behind this sacred desk, thankful for Edward Kimball, who played out one small but faithful part in the Great Commission to share the good news with Dwight L. Moody, and the rest is history. Who will stand before the Father someday? Because of you. Because you were bold enough in your testimony to share. Because you cared and loved lost people to get out of your pew, to get off your haunches, and to get out and fulfill the Great Commission. Whose life will be impacted because you've chosen to be a person of influence, who've said yes to God's invitation to in partnership to be a part of what God is doing in this world. He may call you to Moscow. He may call you 
to Malaysia. He may call you to Haiti. He may call you across the street. Across the street or across the globe. It doesn't matter. Because God is calling His church. That's you and me, friends. He's calling us to live an incredible life of risk and adventure. To reject that civilized, domesticated faith that can so easily settle in upon believers today and join him, join with him as he passionately goes out and gathers unto himself a bride from among the neighborhoods of Erie County and from the nations of the world. And I tell you today, it will require risk and it will require boldness and it will require faith. And yet I know that there is a rumbling inside of the church And I hope there's a rumbling inside of this church that this is what we should be doing. We have to. We must. We cannot give up. We cannot let up. We must keep going out into those harvest fields because there are people who are slipping into eternity without Christ and they will be in eternity without the Savior under condemnation for all of eternity. Are we going to be apathetic about that? Are we going to just be kind of, oh, well, yes, some will be lost. What is our highest calling? What's our greatest honor and privilege? Our highest calling as Christians, I believe, is to serve as a messenger of the gospel. To go into the world and preach the gospel as his ambassadors. And this gospel is the hope of the world. You are plan A in God's strategy to save the world. And I want to tell you that God has no plan B. You are it. And He uses people like you and me as His spokespeople. He's placed the message of salvation in our hands. And He says, I invite you into this work and I'll empower you by My Spirit. And you and I have the high honor of delivering this good news to the world. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. And it is because of that that we are launching epic faith. Let us never, never become confused of the motivation of launching a new church within our church. It's not to make our numbers swell. It's not to have a contemporary service. It's not that it's now vogue to do this sort of thing. The thing that compels us to reach out, both in this church family and in the new church family that is developing in epic faith, is that we are commanded and committed to expand our reach into our community. And that we realize that our nation is going to pot. And we're moving from being a nation with primarily a Judeo-Christian worldview to one that is devoid of Christian understanding. Many people, who, young people who've grown up in the church are abandoning the faith at a very high rate today. Gone are the days when young adults attended church because they're supposed to. New research, there was an article in USA Today just recently that has confirmed speculation that young adults are leaving the church in droves. Lifeway Research, Ed Stetzer, who teaches at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville released some study results that showed that more than two-thirds, two out of every three young adults who attended a Protestant church up to the age of 18, stopped.
stopped attending church between the ages of 18 and 22. And many of them never came back. They're not coming back. By age 18, when it's a young adult's choice, whether to buy into the church, many don't feel engaged, many don't feel welcomed, many don't feel challenged, they're turned off and disenfranchised. The church doesn't make sense for them. And it doesn't, for many of them, make it back on their list as a priority. Friends, I want to remind you who we are. We are the Christian and Missionary Alliance. We are that denomination that was founded by Albert Benjamin Simpson, who one day in his study looked at the globe and he wept over the globe, knowing that there were lost people who were going into Christless eternity, which propelled him to start a missionary training institute, which is now Nyack College, which started all kinds of ministries and ultimately the denomination of which we are a part, the Christian Missionary Alliance. It is our heartbeat. It is our passion, I think. Although in some alliance churches today, there's very little evidence that this is our passion or our heartbeat. But I want to tell you, it's got to be our heartbeat or let's shut the doors and write Ichabod over the door because there's no, no sense of us gathering unless this is our heartbeat. And that's why we're starting Epic Faith. That's why I'm asking you to pray for Pastor Stephen and Colby as they get ready for the launch on September 9th. You may not ever attend Epic Faith. That's okay. It wasn't designed for you in the first place. It's designed for people who are out there, who are lost, who are disenfranchised and turned off to the church and turned off to Christ. And we are trying to reach those lost sheep. Why? Because they matter to God. And therefore, they should matter to us. And we need to get behind this full force with our prayers and our support. And we need to be standing, even if you never attend an epic faith service on Sunday night at 6, you need to be standing in the balcony and you need to be cheering these brothers and sisters on and say, Go! 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 The harvest fields are white. Send forth the workers into those harvest fields. I want to say to you today, church, while they are doing that, we in this church family cannot let up either. We cannot become satisfied that this is our evangelistic outreach that we'll let Epic Faith do their, their cutesy little thing and we'll just sit by. We'll bankroll it. God forbid. We need to be reaching out and to share the Gospel everywhere we can. We need to have our antennas up. We need to be alert. Because even today, God may bring some people across your path. Think of it. Maybe even in the restaurant where you're having brunch or lunch today, He may bring a server that needs just a good word. Don't be so concerned about ordering your fish fry that you miss the great opportunity to be a partner with Jesus today. To share the Gospel. I had a beautiful, beautiful, one of my favorite poems by Sam Shoemaker, who is the former pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I don't have time to read it. I'll make copies available so you can read it. Somehow I'll get it to you. But here's the gist of his poem, and then we're going to pray. It's called, I Stand by the Door. Sam Shoemaker had said yes to God's invitation to be one of these people who would share the gospel. And in his poem, he says, I stand by the door. Because there are people who are looking for the door to hope. And so I stand by the door, waiting for someone to take the latch, to take the knob, to come in. 
And God has given me an assignment to stand by the door. The door is Jesus. And every one of us have been given that assignment. Not just for Sam Shoemaker or Billy Graham or Mordecai Ham or Pastor Rick. Because when you came to faith in Christ, you got a new life. And you got a new job. And you got a new focus. And when you go out those doors, after your community life group, in which you'll enjoy community, then you're going out into your mission field. And all week long, God's going to say, share the good news. Share the good news. Be a person of influence. Share the good news. Would you stand and let's pray together. Lord, I want to be a faithful doorkeeper. I want to help in joining you in your divine work in this world and help bring a biblical worldview on the cutting edge of what is becoming very quickly a non-biblical culture that surrounds us. Lord, will you stir up in me and all of us and our hearts such an unconditional love for those who are searching for the latch that we would be willing to risk all as the Apostle did in order that people might come to you and find eternal life. As your missionaries today, Lord, grant that we would be loving, bold, uncompromising in our witness for Christ, so that empowered by your Spirit, we may take this region for the glory of God, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing before we go. We're the people of God. Just remember who we are. New life, new job, new focus. We're the people of God, called by His name, called from the dark and delivered from shame. One holy race takes everyone because of the blood of Christ, Jesus the Son. Sing it again. We're the people of God, called by His name, called from the dark and delivered from shame. One holy race takes everyone because of the blood of Christ, Jesus the Son. today and begin that job. And remember, your plan A, there is no plan B.